0: Greetings, adventurers! It's been a busy month, and we're excited to share today's episode with you. It will feature some amazing new music, crafted especially for this episode by Mike Petrie and Stephen Malin which will be available on our Patreon shortly. But I also got to collaborate with one of my favorite sound designers of all time, Dane Leonardson, so we really amped this one up to ten and could not be more proud of it. And speaking of pride, it's Pride Month, and while we're not hosting a digital party for charity this year, we wanted to do something fairly unique. I have recently become aware of a certain fanfiction about Dark Dice, and while I originally planned to write a short adventure based on said fanfiction, quality was there, there just wasn't enough of it. So, we have a competition. Write your own non-canonical fanfiction for Dark Dice. Between now and July 31st, 2021, post a link to Tumblr, Twitter, using the hashtag DarkDiceFanFic, or email it to us directly, and you'll be eligible to win some Dark Dice merchandise on our Public store, and also, your story might just be performed by our cast on this show. Though, please note that not all our cast members are available to record, so if you're the sort of person who might, write some fanfiction for our show this month and win some really cool merch. Full details and rules are available on darkdice.com, on the contest page. In additional note, we'll be releasing our fabled new 5e Dungeons & Dragons class, The True Necromancer, next week. What makes this different from rolling a necromantic wizard? Quite a lot, actually. And there are over 30 pages of new content, new monsters, foul items, including Soren's magic lantern, and multiple quests that will help you seek and attain eternal life. There's no reason your DM won't want to see a true necromancer at your table to use their magic to raise the dead and also against the living, because after all, inside every person there's a skeleton waiting to get out. So next up we have... Oh, hey. Hey. Oh well, hey. hey Russ how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Travis? F- fancy meeting you here? I, I know in, in, in the internet. What brings you here?
1: I was just finished <laughs> recording my show and then as you hit end call on Zoom,
0: it boop, boops you over to an, a new show. And obviously today that's that's yours. Oh, well, well, we're gonna we're gonna play some dark dice today. I love it. So so what are uh, well, this is the voice of Ildrix, Russ D. Moore, fantastic podcast creator. What uh, What show are you working on right now?
1: Well, the show is called Facing Fate, and the new season that we've just started dropping on June 14th is called Black Knight, and it will be releasing every Monday for the next 10 weeks or so.
0: Oh, you got a new season, so it's like story-based seasons on the show?
1: Each season is a new genre, new world, new characters, uh, completely separate, or are they, from the rest. Very well edited, I might add, as well.
0: Thank you, thank you. What's What's the story? What's okay. the story? What's the hook? Hook us in.
1: So, it's a show within a show, travel. Follow me on this. It's, we're going to go on a journey before we even get to the journey. Each show starts with a with a regular demon family just sitting down to watch a watch a primetime reality TV show, much like one would do in in the regular world as a demonic family does. This TV show brings in unsuspecting humans who are joining a contest to be the world's greatest live action role player. And then as you go through the season, the stakes rise. So it becomes more deadly. Yes, yes. A show
0: within a show. A show within a show. The stakes get so deadly. If
1: (laughs) if you followed us this far, then Facing Fate's for you, and we hope that you come join us over there.
0: And it's available wherever we find podcasts? Anywhere you find podcasts. Just search for Facing Fate or visit us at facingfate.com. Fantastic! So to summarize, support us on Patreon to get access to cool music, check out Russ's new season of Facing Fate, and try out our new True Necromancer class on either our Patreon or on DriveThroughRPG.com. Now, let's get started.
2: Shaelis pace, Salis.
0: Do you seek him? 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 Do you seek him?
3: The nameless God
0: You have found yourself among those who roll the dark dice. What you are about to hear happened long ago. A story brought back from the edge of oblivion, dutifully transcribed, and enhanced orally to better captivate your attention. Previously, a team of adventurers survived their own executions at the hands of elves. Still within the dead pines, miles from civilization. Not all is what it seems. Dark Dice, The Long Road, Chapter 2B, Quartet.
3: There, down here. Oh,
2: greetings, and excuse me. Um, I'm I'm sorry for waking you, but I'm looking for the monster hunter. Do I have the right barn?
3: Yes, um, I'm sorry. The uh, owner of the farm said it was all right for me to stay here Well, he's out visiting family in Lopovicho.
2: No, that's fine. Barn, tree, or manor, I'm here to inquire about your services, not question why you're sleeping in old man Rizzo's barn. Though I'm not too sure anyone, even animals, should be sleeping in here. Oh,
3: that'll make this conversation so much easier. How can I be of help?
2: It's a bit of a long story. Oh, sure.
3: Always time for a story. Why don't you share your story over breakfast, hmm? I've got some salted bread and butter I'm about to heat up.
2: I, uh, we really don't have a lot of time.
3: That's all right. Why don't you come in from the rain while I cook and pack my things? That way, if you need my services, I'll be ready to go by the time we're done talking.
2: That will work. I'm Sister Savarai, Caverns Fall of the Temple of Alluvian. Thank you for inviting me into... out of the rain.
3: Very nice to meet you, Sister. I'm... Uh, carver... silver. <laughs> so- uh, my name is Soren. Soren Arkwright uh, of the Bright Vale.
2: Well met Arkwright. And I'm guessing that's Daisy, Meeks, Enzo, and Butters.
3: Yes, though not in that order. Uh, Butters is the large one, with the most copper in his horns.
2: Hmm, copper coated ibex. Dwarven mine copper is still the superior product, but I can see the appeal. Sorry, distraction. Oh, that's quite
3: fine. Salted toast.
2: No, thank you. We need to discuss your services. Sure, sure. You are a monster hunter.
3: So I'm told.
2: This is serious. Are you actually a monster hunter?
3: I, I, I don't like to think that I go out of my way to hurt things, but unfortunately, sometimes that is exactly what I'm asked to do by cute townsfolk. Like yourself?
2: Adult dwarven women do not particularly enjoy being called cute, Mr. Arkwright. Neither do paladins of Alluvian with a rather strong backswing. Oh,
3: no, I... um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I can see that it didn't come across the way I intended, but n- I oh. meant no insult by it. Frankly, I'm just not used to being the tall one in a room. It's been happening more and more I travel around these parts.
2: I'm sorry I overreacted. I just don't like being called cute, This is as tall as I'll ever be, and among the humans of the temple, it can be rather irksome.
3: Absolutely. Noted.
2: So you are explaining that you are, in fact, a monster hunter.
3: Yes. I've killed quite a few terrible beasts in my time. Flayers, elves, the odd rowdy giant, a few undead rattlers, husks, and more yet. Creatures unnamed and unknown to living men. And terrible fiends that make their nests deep within the earth. <laughs> it's all the same to me. I'm asked to tread into the deep unknown and hunt the very things that prey on communities such as this one.
4: Mm.
3: Red?
2: No, thank you. Mm. Your services include tracking? Yes. Mm. You sure do want any? Mm.
3: It's the perfect mix of sweet and uh, salty. Mm. I know this sounds basic, but here, try a bite with a slice of avocado, hmm?
2: In a minute. We really don't have time for avocado toast, Arkwright. Mm. My purpose for being here is to ask for your assistance. Oh? Last night, the children went missing.
3: Your children?
2: What? No, I don't have children.
3: Well, I I didn't want to assume.
2: No, the children of this village.
3: Oh that makes a lot more sense. How many of them are missing?
2: Fourteen in total.
3: And how long have they been missing?
2: Since last night, all of them just seem to have vanished.
3: And you're sure they're not uh, playing a prank or, you know, having a surprise party for someone?
2: A week ago, I received a note. It said to stop construction of the temple I've been building, or there would be consequences. It also said that a great quiet would darken the hearts of the village.
3: Can I... Can I feel?
2: I uh, I kind of burnt it in a rage um, Some of the villagers don't appreciate Illuvian's teachings Yet uh, I didn't think them capable of violence or kidnapping Especially against their own neighbors I thought maybe they would attempt to, I don't know, just steal the bell, pull down some rafters
3: hmm. It seems like the children might really be in danger then
2: Yes, which is why I'm here. I'm going to be part of an expedition to find the children, and we need a skilled tracker.
3: I would be an ideal candidate. I know the dead pines better than most skilled in my trade.
2: We can offer you four gold per day, and with Luvian's guidance and a little bit of luck, the entire journey shouldn't last more than two or three days.
3: That's, um, all the gold the grieving villagers put together, then?
2: Yes, uh, we can make it five gold per day, but that's... That's it. Pulling from the coffers. We just want to get the children home safe.
4: Hmm.
3: I have a counter offer. Instead of gold, I'll track the children if you'll share a meal with me after we get back. An actual meal, ideally with friendly conversation. No funny business. Avocados optional. Hmm?
2: You know I'm not a skilled chef, right?
3: Well, if it's truly terrible, I also get a second meal where you bring items from a list that I provide, and I cook the food. Or we cook it together. Uh, do we have a deal, sister?
2: You're getting the worst side of the coin, but yes, we have a deal.
3: <laughs> Good.
2: Thank you, Arkwright. The villagers won't believe your generosity.
3: Uh, call me Sorin, and save your thanks until after we've found the children. If this is a prank uh, where were any of them last seen
2: on the east side of town near the mayor's home
3: All right hmm and I'll head over there now.
2: I'll gather the rest of the search party and meet you there. Thank you again Soren
4: Soren
3: are you uh, are you okay you stopped walking.
0: Soren's gaze returned to focus on the men in front of him, as his daydream, the memory vivid enough to all of his senses, quickly faded.
1: Yeah. You've been gazing off for a while, friend. Uh, yeah, sorry.
3: Right, okay.
0: The team turned and continued their slow-moving trod through the shin-deep snow of the dead pines. The sickly crimson light overhead, like the light of a dying campfire, peeked through the trees casting long shadows features covered in light frost breaths frozen it was an additional half hour before the team reached a location suitable for camp it yes, was
4: yes. Uh, excuse me hey but, i'm going to uh, just be gathering gathering some wood uh, forgive me if i uh, inadvertently uh, hum to myself a little elven tune of which i'm fond okay um, please forgive me if i indulge <laughs> 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 Oh, great! Magical music.
0: <laughs> where, where did all these instruments come from? Steven, how am I going to justify this in world? What? Gotcha. Uh, our music team says uh, Jeff's character now has one level in Bard, I guess. Are you guys sure about that? Okay, if you and Michael do it. Alright. Gotcha. Okay. They really want to do this. Okay, well, let's keep going then. Balmer was gathering some wood.
1: You'll have to
4: teach us some elfin parlor songs. Here's a little uh, a parlor tune. Huh. It's it's three part harmony. See if you can. Fantastic. If you can join in if you've got uh, the ear for that kind of thing. Oh, oh I, know I know this think, one. Let's <laughs> 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 Nobody cares. Think about that. Okay. Boom boom boom. <laughs> so, so cool.
2: fun. Do you know any more?
4: Hey, Gail. What if he's one of
3: those elven wizards, huh? But maybe someone should be listening to me here.
4: Uh Here, here's another one. Uh Wait wait, here, here Here, I know. This, this makes good harmony. Wait a second. Oh, I know it. Um... Sorry, (laughs) I I did it. I knew I was going to do it.
2: No, I'm quite enjoying this.
4: (laughs) That was awfully strange even for us. Stupid magical music, see what I mean? Awfully strange, he says. We're already beset with elven magic.
0: Okay. Balmer, who stated that he was a skilled woodsman, began a search for viable branches with Ildrix, while Glom, Gale, and Soren set up a camp area, clearing out the snow.
4: Yeah, I'm just gathering wood, and uh. What? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, feel free to join in there. That's also a good hmm. round. The DM took ten stress damage. Moving on. As Soren prepared kindling, he reached for his dagger, that cursed blade of crimson and steel, noting its strange absence from his belt. Soren began to check his pack, his lantern, the place where he normally kept a lantern. Uh, no. Where was it? Soren frantically searched for a few moments until he realized... He did not desire the dagger, but rather was searching out of habit, out of fear, that a cursed blade, which had always found its way back to his hand, which seemed to whisper gently for more blood, was no longer on his person. This strange and simple revelation allowed him to recover ten stress damage, as the burden of the blade's curse was finally lifted, or perhaps more aptly, shifted to some other unfortunate soul. Oh... Twenty minutes later, without the aid of magical music, the team found themselves before the warmth of their campfire. The muted quiet of the woods put them almost at ease as their immediate tasks were completed, and they could now relax as much as one could within the creeping fog and the shadows of the dead pines.
4: So, um, yeah, hey, fog is starting to roll. Uh, Despite my recent captivity, I I, I can take first watch if you all need to rest.
3: I don't mind uh, staying up with you if the others need some sleep.
1: That would be wonderful. Um, as you as you need rest, wake me, and I will take second.
3: Glom moves as far to the edge as he can and mutters, "Great." The witch and the zombie are going to keep first watch. Kind of look down at my hand, color a little injured by that comment, but not much. I'm not letting it show, just, just yet. But that does bring up some questions for later.
2: Gale follows Glom and gives him a bit of a kick on the foot. What? Just behave, for goodness sake. Okay,
3: fine. He is evil, I'm just saying, it for the record. I didn't say
0: anything.
2: We've had a long week of tracking and following the L, so a rest sounds wonderful.
0: As the night grew darker, please knock off one day's chill rations as it's assumed that everyone begins eating at this point in time unless otherwise stated.
3: Speaking of assumptions, uh, Glom sort of sidles up to Gale. Um... Yeah, uh, can I uh, borrow one of your trail rations? I uh, didn't bring any again.
2: Here you are. And she'll pass in one of her rations while she's eating.
1: Where I come from, it is often customary to tell a story when sharing a meal together. And as Glom is eating, Balmer is eating, and Soren is very interested in his hands at the moment... I will share a story that I have heard. Are you familiar with the story of the human who unified your realm states roughly 500 years ago? The Realm Weaver. Ah, I see you have already heard that one. Uh, let me try something different. So, I have studied the arts of breathing quietly and thinking for some time, uh, meditation. And while I do not consider myself an expert, I traveled a great distance from my home in hopes of learning more about myself and others, and also so I might better understand all of creation. Yep. But Wait a please save your interjections until I'm done, as I do not wish to see food fall from your mouths. Okay. Thank you, Glom. As I was saying, there is a a story perhaps, that I learned from a peaceful village I stayed with in my time in the mountains. As a tribe skilled in the arts of peace and breathing, they told me a story I had not heard, and it is one that I will now share with you. Many years passed. One of the village elders, skilled in the art of breathing peacefully, fell into a deep trance. This story is about his trance. The man's name was, oh, let's call him Mordemau, because he was human. Mortemau was beloved in his village, and so skilled at peace was he that he'd never killed anything in his entire life. Mortemau had never eaten flesh from any beast, and it was said that not even the bugs where he lived would accost him or drink of his blood. Having lived among the villagers, I questioned the truth behind that statement, but all within the village agreed that Mordemau was peaceful and trusted by all animals. And when he walked, it was without fear. One day, after a long human lifetime of peace, breathing, and humility, I think that's uh, 30 years, old Mordemau was ready to learn more about the ways of peace and enter a deeper meditation beyond that which most humans ever hope to achieve. They began to send their very soul through the spiritual planes, the route of ghosts, gods, and other creatures from which Mortemau hoped to share and gain wisdom that could help his people. You see, his village had experienced a terrible drought that had harmed their crop. I probably should have led with this part. And that is why Mordemau traveled to the realm of spirits to seek out the great spider god Varati, who could grant wishes and make dreams real. Oh, and a point of clarification, Mordemau was actually not male nor female. Their village had a word for this that I I do not remember, but I will continue the story because I'm getting caught up in the details. Mordemau walked, or rather their spirit traveled in the way spirits do, for many miles. You see, while their physical body was old and frail, their spiritual one was kind of like a taller version of Glom, but stronger and with less pimples. Mortemau shone with a magnificent black aura that glimmered like twilight before a sunrise. And while their hands were soft, they had the strength of a gentle titan. These spiritual features carried them toward the peaks of the great mountains, where the first dragon waited with hungry anticipation. Mordemau knew that this dragon had previously vowed that no man would pass over those cold peaks because some of the villagers had met a swift end there in attempts to find food. But unable to delay their journey by walking around the mountains, Mordemau had hoped to find a way through them as a spirit. The journey was difficult, and Mordemau began to hunger. Mordemau had brought food of sorts, yet they steadfastly refused to eat it, instead giving their meal to a shrine they had visited in their youth, to the great stone goddess, Talega, who was impressed by Mordemau's discipline. And no sooner than Mordemau left the food and prayed to her for guidance, that a group of dwarves emerged from the stone face of the rock, having just finished a decades-long tunnel through the mountain. Mortimau smiled and walked through the dwarven passages unseen, for they were still a spirit. When they reached the other side of the mountains, Mortimau traveled for another day on the surface, unable to find sustenance. When they came upon the Grand River of Souls, overflowing and raging amidst a terrible storm, Mortimau had to swim through, for there was no boat nor bridge that could carry them, and they could not wait for the storm to end, so great was their mission. So swimming through the great river of souls, they could feel the emotions of loss, longing, and love that all creatures who lived and once lived felt. And though they were certainly hungry, in the spirits of red-spined trout, were swimming up river in massive quantities easy enough to catch and consume. Mordemau did not eat the spirits of the fish that passed them, so the twin gods Eldich and Neldich turned their gazes away from Mordemau, who could not be tempted and allowed him to pass the treacherous waters. Mordemau was famished as they reached the river's edge and they passed through the plains and swamps, but still no food not of flesh could they find on their path. Having heard Mortemau from her divine siblings and seeking to test him, Agala, goddess of fire, the source of all flame, appeared to him in the form of a strong and very insistent woman bearing spiritual food, the meats of animals and beasts already slain. Surely Mortemau would accept the flesh of a creature already slain by another, she offered these to Mortemau freely, seeking to test their resolve and cognitive dissonance in the face of starvation. Mortemau looked at these delicious baskets of cured meats, a splendid assortment with rare seasonings and samplings from every kind of creature imaginable. Even though they could not recognize the meats, Mortemau could smell their flavor and the strength that the meat's consumption would bring them. Even just one bite, would have been more than enough to refuel their spiritual strength. But Mortemau was not swayed and thanked the woman they did not know to be Agala in disguise for her offer. Now, they had some kind of philosophical discussion here that I'm not going to get into. But, in short, Agala found a respect for the mortal and pointed Mortemau toward their intended destination, a nearby forest that could only be reached by one who had been there. Before, Mortemal thanked the stranger again and continued into forests beyond where their most distant ancestors had ever traveled. Mortemal quickly became lost, and worse still, they could find no substance they deemed edible. Many opportunities presented themselves for an easy meal of spirit meat, and each time the human would free an unlucky animal from a trap, or brambles, or whatever ailed them. And while expected to fall to despair, Mordemau was no ordinary human, and would rather die than break their vow of peace. Jagoran, the god of the wilds, smiled at Mordemau's spirit from a great distance and guided the predators of those woods away from them. But, nearly falling over with hunger, Mordemau continued forward, one foot before the other, journeying toward Cromana, the realm of dreams and nightmares without even realizing it, guided by the ghostly flickering lights of a gala. It was there within the shifting forest of dreams, between the glimmers of light and the peculiar fae creatures that live there, that Mortimao recognized that their spiritual body began to reflect their physical one. Rather, somehow, body and spirit had been reunited under the dancing lights of the spirit sky in this magical, metaphysical place, As they traveled, each step carrying the heavy weight of age, a life well lived, Mordemau gradually became aware of stillness within the woods an unease. And this part I remember word for word. It was there in those woods that Mordemau felt both completely alone and yet joined by a presence singularly hateful and strong-willed, calling out from somewhere beyond even their perceptions, with a threatening whisper, each word draining Mortimau of energy, crushing their will. Mortimau was forced to slow, sit, and eventually lie down and rest. As Mortemau's life began to fade into meaninglessness, the spirit said, Hark, he shall take form, child of the grand creator. The bell of bone will toll twice, heralding his arrival. Welcome then, the first child, of fair Nuwe, with gifts of flesh and blood. None can stop his triumphant march as his host consumes the flesh of friends and delivers him from Homana. Thought will given form, our formless lord, the never-born god. Thought will Given form. Prepare for the Neverborn God. It rhymes slightly better in the original tongue, I'm told. Uh, infernal, I believe. And as the old human strength gave out, Mortemau used their last breath to pray to the gods for the future of their village. But as their breath ended, another came. And a figure stood over Mortemau, shielding them from the corrupting words. Illuvian himself, the god of suffering, lifted Mortimau's body and carried them the final few miles to the temple of Ferati, where the Spider-God waited, eager to meet the mortal that had gained the admiration of her siblings. Mortimau was themselves still unable to speak, being so weak, so Illuvian, who had followed their journey with great interest, told Dreamweaver the story of Mortimau and their people. And of the journey undertaken. So moved was Ferati, the weaver of fate, that she made Mordemau's dream a reality. And in a blink, Mortemau awoke in their village, which was now firmly within a sturdy fortress crafted by Telega, its grand stores filled with bountiful harvests by Jigorin, and a new river of fresh water running directly beneath it. And like their reborn village, Mortemau awoke in a new body. Young of flesh, but old of spirit, given a second life by the gods. Mordemau became known as Kalad the Wise, and the entire village still lives within the walls of their fortress and does not eat meat. Soren. Sorin? Sorin, are you awake? Soren. Uh.
3: Sauron! Oh.
5: Good morning, Sauron. Or should I say, afternoon.
3: What? Ayas? I, I how did I get here? Uh, You woke up. Uh, woke up? Uh, Oh, right.
5: In your, um... In my humble shop, yes. Is there anything in particular you're looking for?
3: Besides oh, so a little beauty sleep? <laughs> well, let me look around. That's a nice place. Roomy. Indeed. Where does that door lead?
5: That is not a door, Soren. Soren! Soren! Soren. Oh. Good morning, Soren. Or should I say, afternoon? What? I. I How did I get here? Uh, you woke up.
3: Woke up? Uh, oh, right, in your, uh... In
5: my humble shop, yes. The exact words you used were, well, there's only
3: one bed. But I thought that this was also an inn. You know, with with enough beds to use as a unit of measurement, should a map be drawn of it? (laughs) That's
5: one way of putting it. Mara wasn't lying about you. Uh, Who's Mara? The laundress, but that's not important. Is there anything in particular you're looking for, Soren? Uh, it's so strange. I don't remember being here before. That's what your father said last night, along with, I've had worse.
3: (laughs) No, but seriously, this place is really nice. You should be very happy with it. I know I would be. I would be if it hadn't been stolen
5: from me. Stolen? I'd rather not talk about it if it's all the same to you. I've been on the road for days now and... Oh, fuck. I'm just
3: getting depressed. (laughs) But seriously, this place is really nice. You should be very happy with it. I... uh, Except for the blood-covered gear covering the shelves. Oh, well. Beggars can't be choosers. Did they beg? Or did you kill them while they slept? Did you notice that I got a houseplant? Oh, great placement! Now that'll catch any water if the roof leaks again. Uh, wait, are we in a different inn? In a different inn. <laughs> Punny. Uh, does does this mean that I won't get to see you again?
5: Soren, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you died. 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 died, died. Soren. 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 Sorin Oh Good morning, Sorin. Or should I say afternoon? What I, I ask? How did I get here? Uh you woke up. Woke up? Uh oh right, in your um In my humble shop, yes. Is there anything in particular you're looking for? Uh that's a
3: complex question. Am I do you know what's going
5: on? With the execution, you mean? Oh, sure. Nasty business. That. Drink.
3: No, thank you. Execution?
5: Yes. Not polite to gossip, but they finally caught up with him, it seems. Caught up with who? That pale killer. The mad ranger that haunts our children and our woods. The carver of the veil. They found him still drenched in, well, his latest victim... We will all sleep the sweeter once the deed is done. Now, I really do think you should drink. No, I insist. I I won't. won't. We can watch the execution from the window there. Here, have a drink.
3: You know, that sounds just lovely. Excellent.
5: Here, a special concoction I've prepared just for you with a little aperitif of violet rock candy. On a stick? Of course.
3: Hmm. hmm. Oh, this is nice.
5: It really was. They're about to cut the bastard's head off any year now,
3: too, once they catch him. You know, I, I feel like he's guilty. But I don't really feel like he's guilty, you know? What
5: makes you say that? The body's in your basement. That's what I said, too. Is there anyone in particular you're looking for? Daddy... Say that again, but maybe without the tears this time.
3: My dog's name was Daddy. A corgi-shepherd mix, soft, fur-friendly smile. Saved my life more than once. I I just... I just want him back. Sometimes, you know. Do you know what it's like to lose a part of yourself?
5: I think pretty much everyone does by the time they finish puberty.
3: He's gone. And now, so am I.
5: Eh, you're just mad that we figured out that you were working with the cultists who started this.
3: Lies!
5: I would never work Didn't with... Didn't they call you the Carver of Dreams, or something like that? That wasn't <laughs> me! <laughs> Tell that to the clay hag. Hag, 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 hag.
3: How do you know her? The half wicked one.
5: <gasps> Soren. Sauron. Sauron. Good morning, Soren. Or should I say, afternoon? What? Well,
3: how did I get here?
5: Uh, you woke up. Woke? Up? Right. In your... In my humble shop, yes. It's... It's so
3: strange feels so familiar,
5: yet I I don't think I've been here. That's because you haven't been. We only just met in the woods, remember?
3: Yes. It's... it's coming back to me now. Good. Good. I've been thinking a lot lately. When? I feel like I've been walking for days. I felt so alive in those woods. And the thoughts... They come to me when I walk when I sit, when I wait. Anyway, sometimes I think that things would have been better off if I'd not gone.
5: You're saying this to the man with the most to lose from that
3: statement? I'm saying this to the man who knows what it cost. My skin.
2: My voice. My body. My soul.
3: My mind. Do you despair, child? He our call. Whisper for us.
5: I was scarred. You were murdered, Soren. I am so sorry, friend.
3: Am I? Am I dead? Where am I?
5: I, I don't. She attacked you, and I was too scared to do anything. Oh, Darkness, please forgive me, Soren.
2: Ayus, it seems you got some customers.
5: <laughs>
4: Say, can I get a better look at that, Aias? Sure, Balmer. Uh,
5: Soren, you're in the way. Could you move, uh... Soren?
4: Soren.
1: Soren. Soren. Uh, you, you seem to have closed your eyes for a long time. Longer than humans I've seen blink. I believe that you may have been asleep. Oh, just preparing for
3: my watch. <clears throat> I feel so much more than rested now. How long has it been?
1: Um, about two minutes. Huh. You were uh, talking in your sleep.
3: Could you, um... Could you understand anything I may have said?
1: You said something about there being thirty-four rules, but that was all I could hear.
3: Well, now that my pre-watch rest is over and everyone's done eating, Balmer and I can begin our shift. But seriously, get some rest. You'll need the energy for tomorrow's journey.
0: And as the night grew colder, darker, and as the mist became heavy team settled in for the night, unaware that not all of them would remain to see the sunrise. Dark Dice, Chapter 2B, Quartet, starring Jeff Goldblum as Bomber, Peter Lewis as Soren Arkwright, Holly Billinghurst and Sean Howard as Galen Glom-Vogelberg, Russ D. Moore as Ildrix, and Travis Vengroff as Dungeon Master. This episode featured Caitlin Statz as Sister Savorite Caverns Fall, David Altazai as Hinskeep, Hem Cleveland as Rowena Granite Pike, Aethor Vitherson as Father Century Westpike, Kessiraliniki as Phil of Czar-Kath, and Stephen Malin as himself. This episode had dialogue editing by Sarah Baczynski of Polarity Audio Works, Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions, and Dane Leonardson. It features sound design by Travis Fengroff and Dane Leonardson. Produced with additional editing and sound design by Travis Fengroff, with mixing and mastering by Hemlock Creek Productions. This episode featured music by Stephen Malin, Brandon Boone, Dane Leonardson, and Travis Vengroff. You can also check out our other shows like The White Vault, Vast Horizon, and Liberty. Links are provided in the show notes. To support this production and get access to bonus releases, music, world lore, art, and early access to future adventures and D and D materials, please join our Patreon at patreon.com/foolinscholar. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram as at Dark Dice Pod. This is a Fool and Scholar production.